In today's session, I want to talk about one of the most widely used interventions that you see in therapy. This is called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And I want to teach you some of the most useful skills that can help you work through anxiety and depression. So if you struggle with anxiety and depression, this session is for you. I'm going to walk you through a process of how CBT works. You're listening to Mind Manners, hosted by licensed psychotherapist Albert Nguyen. Albert helps his clients overcome past trauma, change their mindset, and accelerate their personal and professional development. This podcast covers a wide range of mental health and self-development topics, with each episode offering an actionable step towards a better you. If you're on a wellness journey, keep listening. Anxiety and depression impacts everyone. And it can be challenging to navigate the state of mind that you find yourself in because of them. But if you're here because you want to get rid of anxiety and depression, I get it. I wish that were possible. But the truth is, the only way to get rid of them is if we're dead or we're machines or robots. And really, if we were to get rid of them, we would, ha- we would have to get rid of the opposite experiences and states of mind as well. Because we can't have happiness without sadness, pain without pleasure, peace without chaos. So instead of extinguishing anxiety and depression for good, we can learn to become better surfers and ride the waves of these emotional states of mind and learn how to reduce and decrease the symptoms so that they're not so debilitating. Of course, some days we're going to be hit hard by a huge wave or tsunami of emotions, and it's important to take care of those moments too. You're not going to win all your battles. Some days you're just going to need to break down. And it's important to hold space for that and give yourself some grace. But when you can help it, Having some useful tools you can engage in to move the needle in the right direction can act as your true north during times when you feel lost and are not sure of where to go and what to do. If you ever read about therapy, self-help books, or been to therapy yourself, you most likely have heard of CBT in some shape or form. CBT stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And it is often used and exists as a form of intervention in almost every therapy I have seen in my life. CBT is a well-researched method that is highly effective in treating many different mental health problems. And as a certified CBT therapist, I've been using these methods with my patients from all age groups and seen great results. Now, it's not a magic bullet. It does take work. So a little bit more about CBT. CBT is about how we think, feel, and behave. And how these three elements interact with each other can impact our quality of life. In CBT practice, there is a huge emphasis on how we think. And that our thoughts are one of the main culprits that can either increase or decrease depressive or anxious symptoms. So I use a very particular method of CBT called Team CBT, which is a form of CBT created by Dr. David Burns, who is a professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University School of Medicine. He's considered one of the forefathers of CBT. 
I love his framework. So if you ever have the chance and want to learn more about his work, definitely look him up. He has several books that come highly recommended. Now the word team is actually an acronym that represents how a session should be structured to optimize CBT and progress within therapy. The T stands for testing, and then the E is for empathy, A is for agenda setting, and M is for methods that are used in session. Now, many of my patients come into therapy with the goal of wanting to get rid of their symptoms, and some of them have tried many ways to do so before seeing me, like positive thinking and affirmations, yet they still struggle. So one of the ways I like to begin my sessions early on with the patients is exploring how the symptoms of the anxiety and depression that they're experiencing are actually useful. Like, how is it adaptive? Because honestly, it's gotten this far somehow. So instead of looking at the negative impact it has on your life, it's important to start looking at the positives that it is providing. Now, this might seem very strange for some of you, and I get it, I felt the same way, but let's break this down together. Now, what is it about anxiety or depression that is useful for you? Like, really think about this. What are the the specific symptoms you are experiencing and how are they beneficial? For example, your anxiety can push you to prepare, plan, and get ready for something important, like a job interview, a first date, or a project. Anxiety also can alert and help you to respond quickly to danger and is designed to keep you safe. Anxiety can cause you to worry, and worrying can help keep you and your loved ones safe. Such as, if you're worried about your health, you might research ways to be healthier. Or you're worried about someone you care about, so you decide to check in on them. So, It can act as a motivation to solve problems. It might even cause you to push others to get things done. Anxiety can make you smarter. Anxiousness and worry can motivate us to be critical thinkers and researchers. And what about depression? Symptoms like sadness, loneliness, guilt, or shame. How are those useful? Guilt and shame, for example, may motivate us to make amends or recorrect the mistake behaviors that we did. Sadness can help enhance empathy and compassion and might even motivate us to connect with others. Sadness from a loss can nurture appreciation for what you still have and keeps you connected to important memories. Both anxiety and depression can act as a gateway to gaining more insight and learning more about what you really value. Can you think of anything else specific to you? Like for me, anxiety has helped direct my attention towards important factors in my life and helps me invest some time and effort into gaining more perspective on things such as work, family issues, health, and finances. So reflect on this for a moment. Pause this session if you need to. Really think about this. Okay, did you come up with some ideas on why anxiety and depression can be useful for you? So one of the things I mentioned is that depression and anxiety can 
help us learn more about our values. So now, I want you to think about what depression and anxiety is showing about you that is awesome and beautiful. How is it an illustration and an expression of your values as a person? How is feeling worried or sad show what's good about you that is beautiful and awesome? Here's an example. If you worry about your grades or job performance and feel sadness or disappointment, that can show that you have high standards and you care about your work ethics. Perhaps you worry about your relationship or feel bad that you made a mistake. That can show that you take responsibility, care about making it work and staying together, and that you care about your partner. For me, I worry and feel anxious about my parents' health. That means I care about them and their quality of life. So you see, anxiety and depression can be useful and adaptive. There's a lot of beautiful things about why you might be anxious and depressed. So take, in, take this in for a moment. And with that, I want to ask you a question. Why would you want to get rid of all of that? The advantages that anxiety and depression provides and how it's really just an expression of your values. You'll see through the CBT process that how we think about our experiences has a huge impact on what we end up doing with them and how we feel about them. For now, let's come up with a list of why you might want to get rid of your depression and anxiety. Keep it in mind that they provide you all the benefits we just came up with. I know it's much easier to come up with a list of why we want to get rid of them. First off, it's uncomfortable. It can disrupt our sleep. It makes us irritable or we get easily upset. It interrupts your our ability to be productive and just our overall performance. And when you're experiencing depression and anxiety, you can have a very hard time concentrating and it may be, it could even impact your overall health. Can you think of other unique reasons of why you want to get rid of them? So I just went through a process with you. This process is called the paradoxical cost-benefit analysis, where we identify the symptoms of anxiety and depression and then reflect on how those symptoms can actually be an advantage. Then we look at what those advantage reveals about you that is positive. And we ask the question, why would you want to get rid of the anxiety if it provides you with all these benefits? What are these feelings costing you? Ultimately, why do you want to change? And if you can ask yourself these questions, and you can come up with a deep rationale and reason for why you want to change and 100% believe in it. And if the costs outweighs the benefits, then we can really start getting to work on feeling better. But I encourage you to really sit down and do these exercises that I just walked you through. I know it's tempting to want to just feel better fast, but this mindset can be dangerous and can lead to avoidance of the uncomfortable feelings, which only provides temporary relief, but long-term consequences of continued suffering. So if you spent time reflecting and understanding your symptoms and your own unique experiences with depression and anxiety, I want to teach you the foundation of the CBT model. 
This is the idea that how we think and the thoughts we're having impacts the way we feel. And the best way to feel better is to work with these thoughts, mostly the unhelpful thoughts and changing its patterns. I often call these thoughts thinking traps. You might have heard them be referred to as cognitive distortions, which is just a pattern of thinking, usually negative, that keeps us trapped in anxiety and depression. So here is an example. Let's say we have two people going through the same situation. We'll say they're both stuck in traffic and someone speeds through and cuts them off. Person A is telling themselves, that guy is an idiot. I could have gotten in an accident. He didn't even signal. These thoughts may cause this person to feel upset and really angry. Maybe even trigger some road rage. So then this can lead them to drive a bit more aggressively, react even harsher to the next person cutting them off, or maybe even drive recklessly themselves. Now, let's look at person B. Imagine the same situation, but person B thinks, that guy must have an emergency. I hope everything is okay. Hopefully nothing bad happens. How do you think this person is feeling? Probably calm, neutral, and just in the moment. So person B just continues on driving calmly. This is just an example, but I hope that gives you an idea of how CBT works. Here is a step-by-step. Number one, identify the triggering situation or stressor. Number two, identify and label your feelings and be specific, like what are you feeling? Number three, identify the thoughts that may be influencing these feelings. What are you thinking about what just happened or about the situation or the trigger itself? What is your narrative? What are you telling yourself? This will take some practice because emotions are fast. They can go from 0 to 60 in a matter of seconds. And because of that, it's hard to recognize, especially in the moment. Many times, and I get this a lot from patients I work with, is that we don't think that we were even having a thought before that reaction and that it was just a feeling. So it's easier to start by identifying the emotion first and then work backwards and do some investigation and reflection. CBT works best in reflection with the hopes of increasing awareness, mindfulness, and rewiring the subconscious thinking patterns so that when you experience another triggering event. You have the capacity to engage in the new pattern of thinking. That is the hope. So think of CBT like a workout session. You have to actually do the exercises so that you can benefit from it outside of the session. So I encourage you to write those three steps down. Triggering event, feelings, and negative thoughts. Now I'm going to teach you how to identify the traps in your thoughts and some simple methods to challenge and reframe the thinking traps. Let me give you a scenario to illustrate the methods. Your boss schedules an unexpected meeting with you later that day and doesn't tell you what it's for. I'm sure many of us experience this. The feelings that would immediately come up may be worry, anxiety, nervousness, and maybe you're even catastrophizing and thinking of the worst case. Thoughts that you might have could be, is my boss going to fire me? Did I do something wrong? Maybe I did a bad job 
on the most recent project. Is my boss upset that I took time off that last week? So it's not really the event or situation of your boss scheduling an impromptu meeting with you that is making you feel bad. It's the narrative and things you're telling yourself about the incident. And this is the key in CBT because being able to discover these thoughts and being aware of how they affect you may very well be responsible for you feeling anxious or upset. This can make all the difference. However, that's sometimes not enough. In CBT, we also teach you how to not recognize the contents of your thoughts, but rather the pattern itself. We call this cognitive distortions. I typically like to refer to them as thinking traps. You can Google this and find a full list. I'm sure one look at them and you'll have the same experience most people do, myself included, when I first saw it. You'll recognize that you engage in many of these thinking traps. Some common ones are all or nothing thinking, or sometimes referred to as black and white. This pattern is when you look at things in absolutes with no consideration of the gray areas. And then we have overgeneralization, where you take one negative event and generalize it to most or all situations. This is like saying, that always happens to me. And then jumping to conclusions is another one. We jump to conclusions about things without further information or investigation or clarification of the facts. Then we have mind reading. This is pretty much making assumptions that people are thinking negatively about you. And I'll mention one more. This one is called catastrophic thinking or catastrophizing. This is when you ruminate about the worst possible consequence and thinking you can't cope with it. I see most of these patterns often with people who struggle with anxiety and depression, but I've also seen them in most people who don't struggle with anxiety or depression. If you are interested in getting the full list of cognitive distortions, definitely look it up on Google. But you see, whatever the thinking trap is, you can easily stack one negative thought one after the other. And this stacking can create very intense emotions and long-term patterns and problems, which is why discovering and being aware of them is highly important because the key in feeling better is to disrupt this pattern and practically stack better thoughts that can overpower or, or override the negative thoughts. So in the example earlier with the boss scheduling an impromptu meeting with you, let's say the thought you were having was, my boss is going to fire me and I did a bad job on the last project. Once recognizing these thoughts, it's important to identify the facts around them and then consider what thinking trap or pattern they may be. It's possible that there could be more than one trap here. These thoughts are good examples of jumping to conclusions, catastrophizing, and mind reading. One of the great things about building awareness is that you start to notice that you are not your thoughts. You are the awareness that can make choices about them and discard the ones that are not useful. Another awesome strategy that I teach all my patients that is part of the CBT method is learning how to talk back to your anxious thoughts or depressive thoughts or any thought that is unhelpful. This is pretty much being assertive and standing up to another person, but instead with yourself. So here are a couple of useful cognitive strategies. Examine the evidence. 
This is you putting your thoughts on trial. You can think of this by asking yourself questions such as, what are the facts that supports this thought? And what are the facts that don't support it? Which side has more facts against the other? And what is the verdict based on these facts? So imagine you had a job interview and you got rejected. The negative thought might be, I won't get another job. So with this thought, you can write out a list of evidence for and against this thought. Once you have that list, you can examine the evidence. You can base your new rational thought with the evidence. In this case, it may be, this is not true. I didn't get this job, but it doesn't mean I won't get another job. I have to keep looking. It's exhausting, time-consuming, and can be overwhelming, but I am well aware of this process and have been through this multiple times in the past. So just to be clear, sometimes the negative thought can be true, such as, I can't physically run because of an injury, or I won't get into that college because of my grades. So we're not trying to replace it with a positive thought. We're trying to identify facts that can help make the thought more accurate. And if it is accurate, the facts confirms the thought. And we can then examine another layer of that thought, such as, why is it important for you to get into that college? You can actually keep going with this, layer after layer. We call this the downward arrow technique used in therapy, where one thing just leads to another deeper negative thought and ultimately helps to review core beliefs. But this is just a bit more advanced and typically are things you would do and work on with a CBT therapist. For this session, I really just want to focus on things you can do for yourself. So another strategy is shades of gray. This is a good strategy for many thinking traps. You counteract the unhelpful thoughts with a more balanced thought that is a bit more specific. Since being specific is typically more objective and objectivity is key in moving away from negative thoughts. For example, if I had the thoughts, I didn't get chosen for the next round of interviews for a job I was excited about. That means I am a failure or unworthy. I would replace this thought with a more objective thought to find a middle ground, such as, I did the best I could and I was true to myself throughout the interview. Some interviews work out and it's a good match. This one just didn't work out, but it doesn't mean I am incompetent or unskilled. I can think of worse failures I've had in the past and I definitely have grown tremendously from it. This interview isn't a failure because If I was completely honest with myself, I gave it a shot and took a chance. And that is a win in my book. And honestly, sometimes it's helpful to give yourself a deliberate worry break. Too many of us worry for too long and too much without setting boundaries with our own worrying behavior that our worries bleed into everything we do. It affects our sleep, how we eat, even affect things we used to enjoy or our relationships. It might seem silly, but seriously, if you are a worrier, consider scheduling worry time as if you would for a meeting and develop a strategy or protocol around how you spend that time worrying. 
It's much more silly to let your worries run wild and free throughout your day than to establish a plan that holds space for them so that you can focus intensely on it and learn how to deal with them productively. A few simple steps is to first schedule an actual time or day and whenever you have a worry outside your worry time, write it down and then refocus back on whatever task you were doing. Maybe even keeping a worry journal and Once you have your worry time, reflect on those worries you jotted down with more rational and focused thoughts. Give yourself a set of amount of time, 15 to 30 minutes, for example. And after that set time, get back to your life with or without solutions or lessons from your reflections. I use this technique many times, especially with my patients struggling with anxiety. I want to end this session by saying that CBT is not positive thinking. Positive thinking doesn't work, and how I've seen most people use it is by denying and dismissing the negative thoughts and replacing it with an inauthentic positive thought. And oftentimes, it doesn't work. Of course not. The negative thoughts do hold some truths about things, but in CBT, we learn to recognize that they are not helpful and they can inflict additional unnecessary stress on an already stressful situation. So we learn to develop that mindfulness around this to improve our cognitive highways to be better drivers of our emotions. Give these exercises a try. This is the foundation of CBT. So remember, start with understanding your symptoms and how they may be helping you before thinking that you need to change. Because I want you to feel convinced that change is the best route for you and that you have examined and reflected on these aspects mentioned in this session. And also, go Google that list of cognitive distortions if you haven't already, and get familiar with them and be aware of what's happening for you and the patterns that you're engaging in. This is just the beginning to improve your awareness of your feelings and the thoughts behind them. Don't hesitate to reach out if you'd like to learn more about me and my work. Also, there are a lot of CBT therapists out there that can help support you on your journey. Take care, everyone, and I will talk to you in the next session. Thanks for tuning in to Mind Manners with Albert Nguyen. We hope you found value in this episode. If you'd like to work with Albert one-on-one, visit OptiMindCounseling.com to learn more about his private practice. Looking to join a community of like-minded individuals? Search Mind Manners Podcast Community on Facebook and join our group to connect with others on their wellness journeys. Finally, if you haven't already done so, please write us a five-star review on Apple Podcast and let us know you're enjoying the show.